This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High Performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness, craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. everyone welcome back to another episode of efficiency on demand i'm really really excited about my guest today especially because we already chatted a little bit and that's even more exciting and we oh i didn't even practice the name damn it every single time again anyways don't worry i do my best so <laughs> that's the second time it happened in like 49 episodes damn it okay yeah, right. <laughs> so her name is Megan Doherty. Good enough for science. <laughs> <laughs> well, we take that. <laughs> Do- Doherty. 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 Mm-hmm. I let you tell, I, I let you say that name again. And um, oh. well, <laughs> she has an amazing background um, that we're going to talk about, but also. We're talking about one of my favorite topics today, marketing. <laughs> everyone knows, maybe everyone don't know, but now you know that this is my favorite, not favorite topic. So we get to talk about this today and I'm super excited. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here and having time for us today. Thank you for having me. This is absolutely a delight. I love your color on the wall. But I also love it's and the plants and everything. I have to actually, anyways, let's not talk about this wall. <laughs> I tried for an hour today to get my my yellow background up, and then I was like, whatever. They know I'm yellow, <laughs> so <laughs> they just have to they just have to think about it. But tell us first, who are you? What do you do? And then we get into your background story. Yeah, so as mentioned, uh, my name is Megan Doherty, and I run One Stone Creative, which is a multimedia content agency. Um, We specialize on creating podcasts for small business owners, department heads, uh, small companies, and the very occasional online course. So it's it's a lot of fun. We're a remote distributed team. We've been doing this for about three and a half years, and we're currently producing about 12 weekly or biweekly shows. I love that. And we're getting to that a little bit later. So stay tuned if you want to hear what Megan has in her, I want to make a baking choke, but I can't, in her pockets. <laughs> so why I want to make baking chokes, first of all, I love bread. Maybe it's because I'm German. But then also bread is just like everywhere you go in the world, it's kind of like this white flapsy kind of toast thing. But if you go to Germany, it's really dark 
it's full of mm. all of the seeds and all of this good stuff and you bite into it and it has a crust and then in the middle it's like a little bit soft and then it's like oh it's so good and when I tell oh, people yeah. about it they're like what no this is no they don't know about it tell oh, me no, when you get like a like a dark rye or a pumpernickel that's almost a little sour oh that's yeah. good with butter maybe a little honey oh god it's <laughs> so good <laughs> I love pumpkin seed bread Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. Yeah. But a really dark rye one with pumpkin seed. Ugh, okay. So before we go too deep into bread roll doll, so you've been a baker. Yeah, I was a professional baker before I became a professional marketer. So I, I mostly made pies. But oh no! I also made other things. <laughs> so my address is my birthday is in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Send it to Thailand. <laughs> Pies. Oh. I can send you a great recipe for pie dough. <laughs> yeah, great. I I literally I burn pasta. That's how great I cook and bake. I. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to say it's no fail, but the truth is with baking, <laughs> Good luck it with doesn't me. matter how clear the recipe is. I so, Some people, it just doesn't work for. And they, do, yeah, they can do everything right. I have watched people do everything right exactly the way I would do it, and it still doesn't turn out. And I'm, I don't know why the baking gods make decisions, and I don't know what it is based upon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I promise you, I'm not supposed to bake. I promise you. <laughs> I can build houses and repair cars. I'm not supposed to be. Oh, cool. Those are both great skills. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think it's well worth it when you live alone. That's for sure. So you were baking pies. Oh my God. Now I have this on my mind. This is going to not leave me alone for the rest of my <laughs> night. So how, tell me, tell me, why did you become a baker first? But then how did you transition and why especially? Yeah. So I left, well, I guess it, it starts a little bit before I, I'd worked in food service for most of my teenage years. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. As many teenagers do and like first in fast food and then moving into cafes, if you're lucky enough to, to move up in the world and become a real waitress, <laughs> which I did. And I was doing that while I was trying to um, pay for college mm -hmm. or pay for university. I had, I did really poorly at university. I was great in high school, really badly in university. I did the first year for four times in three different subjects because I just, I couldn't get my head around it. And so I moved from Ottawa, where I grew up, to Montreal, where I was going to school again. And I happened to have a friend who worked at a bakery who's like, I can get you a job in the bakery. You've got all this food service experience. Went to the bakery, really liked production bakery. That's a really pleasant type of work. Like working with food is just delightful by itself. But like having a list of, you know, you need to make these 112 things for the day and then that's your day and you go home like it's just satisfying there's a list you complete it you go home it's great but while I was doing that I was still I had very much the feeling that you need to get educated get a degree do all of these things and kind of you know have grow up and have a real life as if being a professional baker isn't a great career which it is but I had gone to business school because I was always interested maybe someday I'll run my own restaurant I always had little projects I started my first business like as a kid I was just like business school is obviously the way to go business school is not the way to go Business was awful, filled with terrible people. <laughs> Take all your money and don't teach you anything. Yeah, so I was, I was a business school dropout, but I was still at the time, like, you know, I was in my, my early 20s at this point. And I was getting, I wanted something that was more uh, creatively and intellectually stimulating than working at someone else's bakery and kind of doing, following their recipes, doing what they said. So I would 
did what every one of my generation does and I got myself onto Craigslist <laughs> and I found an ad for a marketer's assistant <laughs> in, my, in my city in Montreal. I applied and got hired basically on the basis of being a business school dropout, which appeals to a certain type of, of entrepreneur. <laughs> so I ended up joining this company uh, quite early in its development and I got to grow with it over the next six years. I worked uh, with that company and it was, you know, challenging in many ways, fantastic in many ways, but a, a phenomenal education mm. in online marketing and in, in management and in growing a company. So like that was, it, it was, it was happen chance more than anything else. You know, I happened to go onto Craigslist today that this ad was posted and then I happened to be the kind of person that this, this entrepreneur was looking for. Uh, and then that's how I kind of moved from being a pie maker to being an internet marketer. <laughs> I love it. I I love it so much just because um, there are so many journeys out there and they all happen to have all of these excuses. Why would this entrepreneur want me? I'm a business school dropout. Why would I happen to work in a startup? I make pies, right? Why would like there's so many people having all of these excuses and then probably they're like personal things that come in the way, you know, like we've seen it now a lot in America and I mean, you're in Canada, but still like it's, it happens all over the world, right? Like I, for example, I went straight from university, which I happened to kind of slip through. <laughs> um, and I have two universities degrees just because in Germany, we seem to collect degrees and certifications <laughs> because the fuller the wall, the apparently the better you are in what you do. Mm. So I collected some degrees and then I went straight into a um, male dominated industry. And I was like, when I got out of college, I was 21 and I went straight into tech and, yeah. and basically into IT. And only a year after university, I got into my first team leader shop for Siemens Enterprise. And I was a team leader for 160 people and 155 of them happened to be men almost double as old as I was, way longer in the business, right? And they would all look mm -hmm. at me and be like, Bobby, what are you doing here? Like, we're not gonna, like, you're not our team manager. What the fuck are you doing here, you know? And so obviously there's so many challenges. So what was your biggest challenge from going from making pies all day long, checking them off, filling them with, oh my God, all of these fillings. And then... <laughs> And then starting with this entrepreneur and not even knowing really what you're doing there probably in the beginning. And I th that was the, the biggest challenge I think for me was it wasn't even that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know. I couldn't begin to imagine all of the things that I didn't know <laughs> going into it. Like there was one thing I was extremely lucky about was this entrepreneur was very invested in training and teaching. And so the, like education and learning these things was a really strong focus, which was, was great. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a huge challenge moving into a kind of job where I had to think and where my <laughs> ideas and being able to problem solve and able to research mattered. No one cares if you can do that in a bakery. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best app to use? <laughs> yeah. But, like, I mean, if, like, you know, it was a big difference between, you know, do the inventory and figure out how much we need to make next week is one problem here's a client who has a marketing challenge, solve it, is a very different type of problem to solve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I, I found I, once I got enough confidence and a part of um, having been to, you know, a year, a year and a bit of business school help with this, 
nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody oh. does. So, <laughs> I mean, it a lot when you start to think that, okay, no, my, my idea is absolutely as good as just about anyone else's um, yeah. until it's tested because the proof is in the pudding, if you'll forgive the bakery reference. So you may as well just try it. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm not gonna sleep until I have some sweets tonight. <laughs> so I have uh, that effect on people. It's awful. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and we talked about how we're gonna get out of this quarantine more fat and and a little bit more drunk. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Oh, just a bit drunker, but yeah, probably a little chubbier. A drunk pie. <laughs> I, I've, I've been skinny. I've, I've been skinny. Pie is better. Like. <laughs> Oh my God, this is hilarious. Yeah, so, you know, it's really interesting because this has been, I think, one of the strengths that turned out for me to be really, yeah, putting me ahead of everyone else when I got into mm -hmm. IT and I just pretended to know nothing. Although I did oh, yeah. know all of the project management, all of the process management, I knew everything which was I was hired for, but I did know nothing about the IT. So I would sit mm -hmm. down with 160 people every single day for four weeks, uh, four months actually, with everyone and just ask them all the dumbest question. And they would get so annoyed. I'm like, well, if you want me to help you, you just have to answer me. I don't know how this works. I don't know what is wrong with that. I don't know what's annoying you. I don't know why this is frustrating you. Seems good to me. If you want me to change it, you got to explain it to me. And so I think to sometimes go back to zero and be like, mm -hmm. I don't know. And as you said, you know, your idea is as good as anyone else's until it's proven. And I really, yeah, really love like, that. And that sounds like that strategy you used is a really good one too. Because one of the hardest things, especially managing, let's call it from a disadvantage, you know, where you're younger than the people you're managing. And a woman giving them the chance to get input is really, yeah, is, is really useful because, you know, regardless of gender, someone who's been working at it for 10 years is going to know more than someone who's been working at it for two and finding out what they consider a problem, whether or not you agree, it's really useful to know what is top of mind for the people you're managing. Mm. And I think it's really important to also, like I, I wrote in my book about it as a leader, you got to be the student and the teacher yeah. and the guide. And it's three different roles, right? Like, and you have to be able to embody all of them. And so for a while, I just was the student, but in the topics that I was 100% sure I know better than them, process management. I'm sure none of them were as far as head because I studied that for four years. I've done it multiple years before that already. So that was the point where I said like, thank you, but I know what I'm doing. And so I yeah. think that's really important to then be confident when you have to switch between those roles. Yeah, you know, cho choose your battles and choose your moments. <laughs> Choosing battles. So, <laughs> uh, so when you then went into this, into this company or into startup yeah. and let's talk about the battles. So you got in there and, <laughs> and you started being in marketing. What was it that you were seeing on the outside that you were just maybe in this time, but also afterwards when you started your own uh, business, what were you seeing that you were thinking like, what the fuck is going on with you, Grand Cadone? <laughs> well, the thing that, and if it didn't, it didn't, I didn't notice it right away. 
um, when I was in this career. Because the first, I'd say a couple of years, it was just me and the owners of the company. I was the first actual hire. And then it grew while I was there. And as, you know, the the staff grew and as the, the reach of the organization and the marketing and the audience building grew over the years, and we started to connect with other entrepreneurs, other internet marketers doing all these things, that's when you start to notice the hideous patterns. <laughs> that's when I started to notice the hideous patterns. And I mean, you know this, being a marketer, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it had like the battles I hate the most, or the, the things I'm the most passionate about. I hate the formula webinar. I hate the formula sales page. <laughs> and the way entrepreneurs and companies talk about both their customers and their employees. And this is in external communications and in internal communications, but it's horrible. Pisses me off. It's awful. It is absolutely awful. When you watch Hot a needs. webinar or you read a sales page, I'm like, what? You know, you know, shoot the lock off their wallet. <laughs> make people feel awful if they don't make the smart decision to buy from you. Oh. It's your online course. It's not changing hearts and minds. You know, you're <laughs> and, and I just, the, the, the shame and the guilt and the thing is when someone uses that kind of a strategy in their sales materials, mm-hmm. it is a long shot that they treat their teams any better. It's possible but I'd have trouble mm. believing it. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this fear-based this fear-based marketing. So here's the thing. At the beginning, I said, like, it's my favorite topic because I really hate marketing. And I just hired a coach for that. And when I talked to him about it, he was laughing out loud because he told me how I still do marketing, but it's not all of this white pro dude marketing. No offense, white dudes. But as I... I think I have called out Cran Condone. Cran, if you at any time want to come for a conversation, please feel free. I love you still, maybe. But uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. Like this fear-based marketing, it's the same what happens with all of this media stream, mainstream media. That's probably what I wanted to say. It was everything, you know, that happens right now in this world that we can see. It's a whole projection of how people react and and project and and move in this world. Mm-hmm. And I, for the sake of it, can't jump on that chip. It's just not. Yeah. Like, I've never made a sales decision because someone told me tomorrow it's not going to be there. Well, if it wasn't there tomorrow anymore, I not gonna buy it like it's gone and yeah. you know that wasn't for me or if someone says like oh if you don't send that chain newsletter to your friend you're gonna die tomorrow well guess what <laughs> I'm still alive <laughs> ain't gonna kill me with that mm-hmm. so talk to me about that why is that fear-based marketing first of all so unfortunately so help me out with the word it's so common it's so prevalent yeah and, and I, I I think and why the, does it the, work? Well, I think the thing is people do it because it does work. It, right. it does. I mean, I mean, I've I've done it myself. I've done it in the since like you know since running my own my own company. The times when I have made a buying decision, like say for a coach or a training or a service, it's either been I'll be completely honest, greed or fear that motivated that decision at the root of it. Either I wanted something mm. to be easier, I wanted more clients more easily, or you know, I was afraid that if I didn't make this kind of decision, I was never going to hit goals that I wanted to hit. And it has mm. never been a good experience. Right. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm uncoachable or because <laughs> I, I really ethically run up with what I, these 
someone will say, hey, you know, I can help you get a lot more leads or I can help you really automate and systematize your business. And then I'm like, okay, this sounds good. Great. You know, here's, you know, $2,500, $5,000, whatever. And then they start saying, it's okay. Oh, now you're going to try to find someone in the Philippines and pay them $2 an hour. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Are you out of, like, I'm not gonna, or they're like, you know, and just, oh, you know, send all these form messages to people on LinkedIn, you know, do this, this theory. And we'll, we'll automate this process. And it's just like, this doesn't feel good. This isn't mm-hmm. totally honest. This is like, so I think, and I mean, I can't judge anyone for making a decision based on that because I've done it. Yeah. You know, it does work that those fear triggers, they're, they're psychological triggers that we have in our brains that, that cause reactions in us. And that's a human thing. Uh, and it's, it's hard to guard against it, especially when you are feeling vulnerable and when you're feeling afraid and when you need something or when the world is terrifying and you want to be able to control something. So like it, <laughs> it's the people who are offering these things who are wrong, not the people who buy them, in my opinion. <laughs> Right. I think, you know, it has a lot to do with the, uh, with the neural biological, like reaction, our brain that kind of turns on the survival mode when, because, you know, I always like to say like, there are no tigers anymore trying to haunt you down. So our brain gets really bored and boredom is the worst stage for our brain yeah that's why it's like all of these thoughts making up these stories limiting beliefs because you gotta jump and loop some holes and so it's like you know like oh what can i do today let's check some online courses oh my god what it's gonna end in two hours 59 seconds uh, and and like whatever 30 minutes and it's like oh my god yeah. oh my god and then you check your finances and like and the survival mode kicks in and you're like if I'm not going to buy that, it's never going to come back. The offer is going to be here. Exactly. You know? And then but it's <laughs> going to come back. <laughs> if nothing is going away forever. And, and I'm going to tell you what, and, and probably those marketers are going to hate me. If you have a VPN or you have an incognito browser and you're just going to keep putting these URLs in them, this offer is going to come back as often as you want. Oops. Okay. So am I being, uh, anyways, so. No, I mean, that, that's the kind of insider secret. People should know that because people like, like we're insiders in the industry, right? We know these tricks and it's easier for us to identify them and see what's going on. If someone says like, you know, has started a business, maybe brick and mortar and they're moving it online for the first time and they want advice and helping, they, they are a lamb in the woods. And if they like haven't been in the industry for years, seeing all this stuff going on, how on earth are they supposed to know which is legitimate and which isn't? Right. There's, yeah, it's, 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 oh, it's so frustrating. And so having talked about that, by the way, that works for flight and holiday search machines too, although not Mm -hmm. many people are getting out of their countries anyways, but maybe (laughs) in the next five years, you could need it again. So, oh, when we can travel again, (laughs) I miss going places. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I'm grieving so hard. So what, what should we do instead? So what was your epiphany basically saying like, oh my God, that's what I've done. That's bullshit. Let's change it. Yeah. I'm, I'm like a, a, you work at a big company for a number of years and I, like I, I ended up leaving because we'll call it like philosophical managerial differences. Mm-hmm. I had kind of grown out of the company that I, I had started at and it was time to, to move on. And I mean, I was pretty burnt out after leaving for about, I, I'd say at least six months. I was pretty incapable of doing meaningful work. <laughs> it was, it had been 
draining. Like it's, it's startup world, right? Overwork is very normal. And that's just like the culture, not just of the one company, but like of the industry as in general is that is prioritized. So, you know, after recovering, I, I floated around for a couple of years. And I took on just a couple of very interesting projects, work with friends that I'd met over the years through some online events, which was fun. Did a little mini course on uh, idea validation for businesses. That was fun. And then out of the blue one day, I got a call from one of my former colleagues at this company um, who I'd loved. I just love working with her. And she, she called me up and she says, do you want to start a business together? And I said, yes, I do. Uh, and so we started one stone. I don't creative. care what, but let's do it. <laughs> no, it was like there was absolutely it was not let's do this. It was like, no, let's do this together. Like absolutely, yes, I would be delighted to do that. And so that's that's how my current company was started. And and something that was been important to us, extremely important from from day one, is behaving in a way that feels ethically consistent with our values. <laughs> And that's from how we hire and manage people mm-hmm. to how we treat clients, to how we get new clients, <laughs> to everything. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the industry is, is basically a trash fire, but we can be merely charred rather than actually burning. <laughs> yes, I love that. And before we go into what are your values, what are you actually yeah. doing, how did it pan out, let's take a little break, a deep breath, and um, so that we can burn through those... No offense, produce marketers. <laughs> You're listening to Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique. We'll be right back after these messages. But in the meantime, find more resources at efficiencyondemand.com. Hey, everyone. This is your host, Monique. If you want to learn more about time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency, then you can now order my new book, The Time Method, and No Bullshit Guide to Creating an Abundance of Time. Just go to www.thetimemethod.com or you can click the link in the show notes below. And please, I would love for you if you can share, rate, and review this podcast so many other people can find and benefit from it too. Thanks for tuning in. I really love to have you here. You're listening to Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique. We are back. We're back on uh, Efficiency On Demand. That's the name of my podcast. I'm glad I remember. (laughs) We're back here with Megan. And we finished baking bread rolls and we're already... (laughs) We went through her story. I love the story and I'm still kind of hang up with the bread rolls and the pies but (laughs) but we already got through your story and you just talked about how your former colleague called you and asked you to form a business together and you just said yes yeah did you know what business no, I, I figured it would be something in the marketing space because my, my business partner, her background was in commercial radio production oh. and she had produced the podcast for the company that we both worked at. Mm. And my background is in, you know, the business strategy, the management and, and online courses. So we kind of just mashed our skills together and landed it on podcast. I love <laughs> and we started that. Doing it. And, and it started being awesome. Like it's, it's, it, I did not, I never would have guessed in a million years that I would be so excited to produce like podcasts for lawyers and for business consultants, but it's so fascinating and it's intellectually stimulating and it's creatively challenging. <laughs> and I really, really enjoy it. <laughs> right. I love that. So 
talk to me a little bit more about how you actually start out the podcast. So many people, you know, they just get started. They're like, oh, I want to talk about this. And then yeah. they have maybe a plan, maybe not. Maybe. Very few. This is, um for me, it always kind of seemed obviously, if you're going to start something that's a business tool, it's part of your, your marketing communications plan. Obviously you have goals and you have metrics and you have things that you want to achieve with it. Like that to me was very, very plain. Obviously. It turns out that is not common knowledge <laughs> or like common, a common way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I learned that really, I was giving a talk to a group of investment bankers. Mm -hmm. It was a digital talk I did a couple of years ago. And I started the conversation with, okay, who has a podcast? And about half the room put up their hands. Oh. And I asked the second question, who started their podcast with a business school? Crickets. And these are like experts in the tops of their fields, brilliant people. The planning didn't happen on the front end of the podcast. So I was like, okay, this is where we can have some fun. So I, I like to start podcasts with, okay, what role is this going to fill in your business? And when I'm talking to people about podcasts, when they're getting started for the first time, it's choosing kind of one of three main overarching goals plus a bonus. And the, the three goals are, you know, are you trying to engage an audience that you already have? Are you trying to develop your business and grow your business? Or are you trying to establish thought leadership? And the bonus is content, because no matter what you talk about, you're going to get content out of a podcast. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so we start from there and then look at, you know, what else, what other marketing activities are going on and how does a podcast fit in with everything else that you're mm. doing? Uh, and that's that's what I find really interesting is how to, how to make that integration happen and make sure that, because, you know, podcasting is, you know, it's a long game. It's not a short game. Yeah. You don't get a lot of benefits in your first two months. Right. <laughs> you do this for a long time to start really seeing the good stuff happen. If you really mindfully set goals, have multiple ways of deriving value from the podcast, multiple ways of repurposing the content, then you can start getting at least a good amount of value from day one. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot more satisfying. Right. So actually, you are, let me calculate, you should be our episode number 50, I believe, the first one number. after... Yeah, sure. After our one year anniversary of the podcast. So what if let's just call out all of these business experts on this conference so that all didn't make a plan. They're already one year in, not that I'm talking about myself, but what if they didn't have a goal to start with? And now suddenly they were like, oh, damn, but I want to grow my business with it and I want to monetize it and or or get people who listen to it to buy my stuff. What am I going to do? Well, the, the nice thing is it's never too late to start adding structure. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you've got one issue when you're starting fresh, right? There's the, the oppression of the blank page where you're just like, oh, no, I've got this entirely empty podcast and I've got to fill it with a new thing that didn't exist before. And that's challenging in its own way. Starting after you've got a year of content, you've got a year of content. You can look through that content and find out themes, find out goals. Who are the people you like talking to the most? Who ended up being a really great networking partner for you and make decisions on how you're going to change or pivot in the future to get more of it. It's always a good time to start looking at new ways to repurpose your work. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe in the, in the 50 episodes that you've recorded, maybe you've got another book in there, you know, and it just oh God, it might please. take a new way of looking at. <laughs> <laughs> you're about the 15th person to tell me to write another book. I just got done one. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. That's the problem when you write a book. Everyone's like, oh, you're brilliant. You should do another one. That's right. That's your life. I'm like, <laughs> I wrote a hundred thousand words in four months. Is that not enough for this year? <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So well, maybe not a book, but maybe, uh, maybe it's a content path. 
you know, maybe it's, it's a, it's a new opt-in series for your website and you, you rearrange the content, you extract parts of it and you repackage mm-hmm. it and you repurpose it in a way that can give people more value in a new way and, and deepen that relationship. So you have, when you have already got a podcast going, you have the benefit of a content archive. Yeah. which is a really strong benefit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can always say going forward, I'm going to try to, you know, approach this niche a little more aggressively, or I'm going to try and, you know, make this other structural change a little more. You can even do a rebrand if you feel like that's ready and, and it's time for it. And there are certainly people who start multiple podcasts or add to their publishing frequency. So say you wanted to, you know, you love having these conversations, but maybe there's a bunch of solo content you really want to get at and have just your voice there, more of a thought leadership stand. Yeah, maybe you add an episode every other week that's just you talking for 25 minutes. You know, uh, we just wait, did like, that last week. You just missed that because I you just, couldn't listen to it because your episode comes out after I talked to that. And then so we, but we recorded before. So it's like two different timelines. <laughs> but yes, we just, it's going to be, it's our anniversary episode, the first soda one. That's so exciting. Yeah, I know, so right? for you. Uh, thank you. I don't even know. What should I be talking about? <laughs> Mm, I mean, lessons learned is always good. Oh. Like reflections on, you know, your takeaways from the time, especially you can, you can maybe add clips from old episodes. That's really cool. Predictions do- for what's going to happen next. Oh, I want, so I want to add, it's really cool because I'm recording that this week. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so basically my plan is to use basically the book and everything that's inside as well. Do some readings. Like I'm going to read like little passages and then talk about the topics. Nice. Because I want to bring more of the topics of actually efficiency yep. and all of these things also to the podcast from my perspective. And once a month, mm-hmm. bring one of those solo episodes on. They're going to be like 30-ish minutes. Good. Awesome. What do you think? No, it's, it's, um, I, I, I like the idea of pulling from your book. Because I mean, as you said, you, you're at 100,000 words in four months. <laughs> You've got a lot to say about the topic, um, yeah. but I'd also probably be willing to guess that not every single thought that you had made it into the final draft. Oh yeah, um, and so <laughs> it can be a really nice way. Take a thought, like take a concept from the book, and and here's the kind of the double use part of it. As you're talking about on your podcast, you can assume everyone has read it because why would a follower of your podcast not have read your book? So you can say, as I mentioned in That's my book, right. this high level topic. And then go on and here's my, here's the next thing you need to know about this after you've read the book. And if you mm-hmm. haven't read the book, by the way, go get it. <laughs> da, 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 da. It's in the show notes below. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's so cool. So what is your favorite way to monetize podcasts other than, for example, well, you know, selling a book, but if someone doesn't have a book, what do they do? Yeah, I monetizing podcasts is a really big and sometimes fraught discussion. There's a lot of, of conversations that happen about it. And uh, people, people have hills that they like to die on about how to do it. I find that the fastest and the path to ROI that feels the best with podcasting is, is as a networking tool. So you have a podcast, you have guests on, you're a guest on other podcasts and you start building relationships. And those relationships can sometimes result in a client provider relationship. Sometimes maybe it's a, a joint venture partner or a collaboration partner or a pr- promotional partner. And I think that is the best way to monetize a podcast is to use it as a networking tool to expand your network and build relationships with people with whom you would like to do business in the future. That one is, you know, that feels the best to me to recommend. And it's also just given how many podcasts there are, how many downloads there are, and the price that a download is worth in the marketplace 
it's not very many. To make money podcasting from sponsorship or advertisement, you have to have a lot of people listening to you more than yeah. almost anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that right. to me is not a reliable way to look at, at earning money. But again, I think it's also really different for people who are podcasting more for passion than who are podcasting as a part of their business strategy. Because someone who is trying to monetize a hobby has a really different set of priorities than someone who is engaging in a marketing and communication strategy for their business. Mm -hmm. And I think someone who's engaging in a marketing and communication strategy has more leeway in terms of, no, I can invest in this for a long time and it's going to pay off, you know, in a couple of years because it's a strategic business decision rather than this is my hobby and I'd really like to pay for my hosting, which is completely legitimate and a great thing to do, but it's different conversations in terms of monetization. Yeah, And I think if you think about monetization too early or without trying to kind of think outside the box. Maybe the monetization is that, you know, over a year of podcasting, you explore a bunch of ideas and realize that you've got a really great new mastermind idea out of it from having had these conversations. Then you start a new product line in your business. Mm. That came from the podcast. It's not direct, but it came. Right. So that's kind of how I see it happening more often than not. I love that. I love that. So before we slowly wrap it up, I do want to dive a little bit into this online course part because you mentioned that- you don't actually do online courses unless you can be really picky about it. Yeah. And um, the the way in which I'm really picky is I need to be absolutely certain in my own heart that someone's going to make money on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because most online courses do not make very much money. And most right. people who teach how to make online courses, they don't do it by selling courses. They, they only do it because they're selling how to make an online course to make a bunch of money. The market for online courses is much worse than most people think it is. <laughs> it's, there's not as many buyers yeah. as is going to be talked about in a webinar. Yeah. Because to buy an online course, someone has to know you, like you, have enough money to pay for a course, but not enough money to pay for personal one-to-one services. They have to understand how online courses works and be a good self-motivated learner. And they have to think your course is better than all of the other ones in the industry. And there are multiple courses of your topic area out there already. <laughs> so that's not to say you should never make an online course. There are, there are times when it's really, really good. Like, okay, say you're using an online course as an opt-in to build a relationship. That's fantastic. If you've got a captive audience that you need to train all at once, like say volunteers or new hires, online course could be great for doing that. And, and the last one, if people regularly ask you, can I please pay you money to work with you individually? And you have to say, no, I'm sorry, I am too busy. And they say, but please, is there some way for me to learn from you? (laughs) If that happens 10 times, you can have an online course and expect to make money. Oh my God. This is so (laughs) real. All right. So I have two more questions for you, Megan. And those are questions that I always ask every of my guests. So the first one is what does efficiency mean to you? To me, efficiency definitely means getting the either most or best benefit out of work done. Yeah. So it's not necessarily doing as much as possible. And sometimes work is its own reward, let's be honest. But it, it is efficiency happens for me when I figure out what I want to happen before I do a thing. I love that. And when that. I don't do that, it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. I love this question because every guest replied something different I bet. so far. Yeah. And it's awesome. And so the last question, I changed it up recently, but if you had to give the top three tips for using a podcast as a business strategy, which one would that be? <laughs> 
Oh, that's good. Man, the last question I've got to... <laughs> that's so good. The, the top one is you're the boss of your podcast, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you, you do need to have... Well, you don't need to have, but as a business podcast and someone who's podcasting for business, you should have goals and you should have metrics mm-hmm. that you can objectively look at to see whether something is working or whether you should change directions. The other one is repurpose, but don't be lazy about it. Repurpose mindfully and intentionally and mm-hmm. think about the end users on each of the platforms you're repurposing to. I, I love repurposing. I don't love like a podcast. Just Repurposing is often done, I think, too quickly without enough thought about how it can bring the most value to your business. Right. Because we're busy and and it's hard. <laughs> and we want to get on with our days and do other things. I'm extremely guilty of this myself. And the third one I would say is just be consistent. Like most podcasts kind of peter out after the first couple of months. You're you're at a year. It has not been easy to get to a year. But now you've got you've coming up on 50 episodes that are rich with stuff that you can reuse. That's a resource that can fuel your business for ages. And and so I think that's the big thing is just, you know, as long as you are hitting or approaching the goals that you're setting, keep doing it. Yes, I love that. Megan, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Please let everyone know where they can find you and what they can find there. I am over at onestonecreative.net and there you will find uh, some of the podcasts that we produce that I think you might find very interesting if you are a podcast listener, which you are because you're hearing me now. <laughs> you will find some really interesting resources about um, how to decide whether a podcast is a good move for your business at all. And if it is, how to go about making one. I'm also extremely excited to announce that in the coming days, I'm going to be releasing the first state of business podcasting research report, which is over 30 data points about the top 100 business podcasts, according to iTunes. So if you've got questions about how long should podcasts be, what should opt-ins look like, mm. I'm going to have it all for you very soon. Should they have more people of color in the top 100? Should they kick out all the produce marketers? Is that in there too? I mean, we're going to have to take that as red. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And so I know that we have also something for our listeners to, is that your ebook? Yes, yes. There is a link, which I believe um, Monique will be kind enough to put into the show notes. And it is, will a podcast work for my business? And it breaks down the different business goals that a podcast can help you fulfill. And it really kind of gets into what the reality of podcasting can look like once you get into it. So between those two things, you can make a really good decision about whether podcasting will work for you. I love that. And as you know, it's in the show notes below. This particular one is going to be in the tool section. So look out for it. Yes. Megan, thank you so much. It was such an amazing conversation. Uh, send me some pies over if you can. <laughs> I will do my best. <laughs> yep, the cold season is coming. Shipping <laughs> perishable items may be a possibility for them. Right. <laughs> At least some photos. At least I'll do my best. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to be here. Thank you, Megan. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.